1: Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host Justin Pullen, and. My good buddy John Duke, he's got the family. They're making their first trip to Disney, and so filling in is good friend Patrick Gilroy of not only here on the post game show on CLNS Radio simulcast on ESPN Radio New Hampshire, espnnhradio.com dot com, but also Gilroy on Hoops. And you can also find him at WEEI. Former, I guess, friendly competitor, Patrick. And now fill in co-host here with me today on Celtics Stuff Live. The Celtics, they're going to be facing a matchup tonight against the Charlotte Hornets on Martin Luther King Day. Quite a slate of games for the Hoops fan who may or may not have the day off today. But I will tell you, I'm... Uh, I'm I'm happy to have you on the show. I know we've done a couple of post game shows together, but I don't know if you've ever co hosted Celtics Stuff Live. I have not. I, I was a
0: guest on Celtics Stuff Live. Um, I'm going to say, in fact, 2007-ish, Justin. By the way, it's great It's great to be here. And we've come so far, by the way. Um, I, I can't believe that we're, what, a thousand miles apart. We're doing Celtic Stuff Live together. It's 2017, and my former show was Celtic Pride, and your former show or your current show was Celtic Stuff Live. And while the networks have changed and the people surrounding us have changed, it's it's kind of cool that – what, like 10 years later, here we are, dude, and and really,
1: what's better than this? No, nothing, really. I mean, it's just a ton of fun, and we used to go live, and I remember the championship season. We did a real nice partnership as the Celtics were going after banner number 17 and, and down the stretch in June, and we were going back and forth with pregame shows uh, broadcast live on Celtics stuff Live, and then Celtics Pride would go post game and there would be multiple appearances from myself and john duke and and Jim JB Metz on your show and then also you on our pregame show. but we did an awesome job of covering that championship run as did others, but um, that was probably the first time we really started working together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you said friendly competitors. I think it was easier when we first got started doing this uh 2006-2007ish, you know, we didn't know each other. Uh, there was no there was nothing there other than the fact that I had been doing the show since 2002 and then all of a sudden And and by the way, the show was broadcast not only at that time. We were on 1510 The Zone in Boston, which at the time was the Celtics' flagship radio station. And then ESPN entered the Boston market, and they brought us over from 1510 The Zone when The Zone lost the Celtics' rights. So we go to ESPN Boston 890 AM. And at that time, we were the lone lone sort of voice in the wilderness because let's not forget the Celtics were – a horrific basketball team for many of our first few years as far as my former co-host Jeff Hickman and myself. So the Celtics treated us like gold. Uh, we would be there for every game and they, they didn't put us up on level nine. We were right up front because we were literally one of a half a dozen media groups at the games. And then the Celtics started to turn a corner, but they weren't, they weren't great yet. But all of a sudden you guys came aboard and you got traction. I'm not going to say you got it Quickly, but it happened to, to us it felt like overnight and I, we would tune into your show and hear a lot of the same voices that were calling our show so for a while was it was there a little bit of a competitiveness in there of course there was but then you realize that the Celtics fan base in New England had been so starved and, and so deprived of legitimate Celtics coverage from the from the major Sort of media outlets, be it radio, be it TV, for so long that when voices like ours, whether it be, you know, you and your crew or me and Jeff, and regardless of the station or the website that we were partnered with at the time, these Celtics fans would find us. It was incredible how they found my show, despite the fact that we switched stations more than three or four times. Then those same people that found us for all those years were tuning into your show, and your listeners started calling our show. So it went from... This competitiveness to almost like, well, let's do this thing together because they're going to listen to both of us and they're, they're going to hate me. They're going to hate you. They're going to like me. They're going to like you. It doesn't matter. It's good for us. It's good for the Celtics and it's it's good for the fans. So the, the
1: it, it evolved in just a funny kind of way, but I'm glad it evolved the way that it did. Well, it's just funny because that's the beauty of the internet. And, you know, at the time, especially, I think we both were broadcasting uh, in a partnership with Jeff Clark and on on Celtics blog. And what's funny about that is now we're on a network, CLNS Radio, that has seven Celtics shows, and there are (laughs) numerous others out there as well. But I think everybody kind of picks their poison. I think everybody enjoys all the different types of personalities in podcasts, and that's really what it's all about. And I know nobody's going to hear John Duke's voice, But what you need to know, Patrick, is last week we did our predictions, as we always do, to wrap up the show, and you'll have to do that for John uh, this morning. But I, I predicted a win against Toronto and a loss against Atlanta this week, and I've been having a lot of success with my predictions week after week and John said it's time for me to come off you know fall off my high horse and he did predict the loss against Toronto and a win against Atlanta both of us said two and one over the course of the week and guess what that is what happened but but John is right but he's not going to be here to gloat so you'll have to pretend that you made those predictions and you'll have to gloat in his place.
0: I'm, I'm always happy to gloat. I'm that type of guy. So, so nice work, John Duke. I appreciate you stepping up and, and performing big last week there, Duke. And I will take all the credit. I have no problem
1: with that. All right, so before we take a quick look back, I just want to remind everybody that you can follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. Ordinarily, my co-host John Duke, you find him at CSL underscore Duke. If you want to follow Patrick, it's Gilroy, or I should say at Gilroy, Uh, on hoops and the entire CLNS radio network at CLNS radio, the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash CLNS fans. And I'm going to tell you, the clns radio family is expanding and you need to download the app for ios or android all you have to do is go and search clns radio in your app marketplace we've got a great new one terrific talk with tom anderson his show this week uh, featured doug gottlieb and included an extremely cool story about brad stevens and just thoughts on coaching in general it was it's a Must listen and a welcome addition to the CLNS Radio family. Don't forget the YouTube channel either. YouTube.com forward slash CLNS Radio for high definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report with Jared Weiss. Hey, also... We got a new sponsor, ZipRecruiter. It's the new year, and that means a fresh start for your business. And a great year starts with great marketing hires. But posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter, you can jumpstart your hiring in 2017. Post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch the qualified candidates just roll on in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No more juggling your emails or calls to your office. You can quickly screen them, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. As of right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to Zip. ZipRecruiter.com forward slash sports fan. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash sports fan. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash sports fan. Patrick, let's talk about the three games this week, specifically Toronto, which has had a stranglehold on that number two slot ahead of the Celtics for some time. I really thought that this was going to be the game where the Celtics finally rose up. They've been healthy, the chemistry's been coming together, they've been on a roll, and despite the fact that they've been unable to beat the elite in, really, the entire NBA, they don't have a win against a team ahead of them in the standings. They had a nice performance against Utah, but I'd say they're on even footing with the Jazz at this point. Did you think there was a shot that the Celtics were going to be able to take that game against Toronto? And really, did they did they change your mind about their ability to uh, have some postseason performance without making any midseason moves? Well, here's the problem. Look, I viewed
0: the Toronto game as very much a a playoff sort of teaser. Where does this team rank? Where do the Celtics rank? And where do they stand up against a team like Toronto that's right in front of them in the Eastern Conference, but a team that is uh, clearly more playoff-proven, playoff-tested than the Celtics? The issue that I had going into the game is, again... The Celtics were not whole. So, much like we talked about last season with that Atlanta series, everybody said what a shame it was that the Celtics weren't whole going in. No Avery Bradley. Same thing going into that Toronto game. And as the game went on, I sort of changed my mind a little bit. And I said, okay, no Avery Bradley, but this team is stepping up. And through three and a half quarters, it looked like the Celtics, not only were going to find a way to win on the road against a, a I'm not going to call Toronto elite, but against a second-tier elite team, and a team that you certainly uh, are chasing, uh, you know I was, I was encouraged. But then it happened, and, and we've seen it happen before with this team. Toronto put their sort of foot on the gas, and the Celtics didn't have the ability to, to stop DeMar DeRozan. Look, if Avery Bradley were in that game, he is one of the premier backcourt defenders in the league. But we can play that game uh, all the time. We played it last year in the playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks. It's, it's a tough game to play. The fact is this. Avery Bradley's been injury-prone since the moment he got here, starting with a shoulder injury. He's a tough SOB, but he's somebody that misses time just about every year with one thing or another. Uh, the majority of the Celtics' major contributors, if you look up and down, with the exception of Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford's had the pectoral injuries in Atlanta, back-to-back years, by the way, with that. Uh, Jay Crowder, back-to-back years, different ankles, but going down with ankle injuries. The Celtics guys that they Kelly rely Olenek. on the most, Kelly Olynyk, absolutely. Can, you can throw Kelly
1: Smart. and we're going to get to an update on that in a little bit later in the show as well.
0: So it's tough to judge, right, because this Celtics team, and now I'm going to sound a lot like Doc Rivers, look, when that team was whole and healthy and they had Kendrick Perkins, they were undefeated in the finals. We don't know with this team, but I do know this. The Celtics do have some depth, not the sort of depth that was touted in the offseason. I think we all played that up a little bit too much. We all got caught up in that depth of this team a little bit too much in the offseason. But they do have some nice depth, and that depth certainly has helped the Celtics this season uh, sort of overcome these major injuries. I think it's still too early to judge if this Celtics team can compete with Toronto in a seven-game series. I was somewhat encouraged. But again, until I see this Celtics team whole, and I I certainly hope that we get that opportunity to see this Celtics team whole and face off against a team like Toronto. Forget Cleveland. Forget Golden State. Toronto is the team that should be in the Celtics' sights right now. But it's too early for me to judge until I see this team compete at 100%.
1: Yeah, you know, in the postseason, if they stay in that three slot, then they'll be facing Toronto for the opportunity to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, provided that they do something they haven't done the last two years, which is get out of the first round with a convincing victory. But I think holding the number three seed will help them be able to accomplish that. I think the biggest thing is, even though the depth is there, it helps them weather this injury storm. And right now we're just about to the midpoint in the season, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But depending on the outcome of the game tonight, they'll be pacing for 50 to 52 uh, wins on the year, which is pretty close to most people's predictions. I think I had them at 54, 55 wins. And based on how the season started, I can see them tacking on a couple of games to that pace before the year's out. But the, the depth of this roster just helps them sort of hold where their spot should be. It doesn't get them over the edge. You know, it's really a top heavy league for the teams that are gonna go to the finals or be in the final four teams in the, you know, east and the west. And that's really what we're going to be talking about. It's going to be trade rumor central from now until the deadline for certain. But looking at the other games, here's the one thing. It's so bizarre. We've talked about it almost on a weekly basis here on Celtic stuff live, but it's really been about the fact that what happened last year, this team could not shoot the three ball and now they're throwing them in like crazy, not only in attempts, but they're making them at a, at a, at a much improved rate over last season. And yet, The defense has fallen off and I certainly we can say there's, you know, personnel adjustments such as adding Al Horford and him finding his way in the defense a little bit, maybe contributing to that and the injuries could be contributing to it. But at the end of the day, some of it is just effort, fire, and if you look at the other two games from this week, Washington and Atlanta, two very feisty games. Obviously Jay Crowder putting his finger into, uh, the nose <laughs> of yeah. John Wall, which that's good to see because Jay has not played his best this year. I almost wonder if that ankle is still hampering him to a degree, but at least the fire's there. And then you've got the Isaiah Thomas, uh, Dennis Schroeder, Comments and Schroeder saying that, that IT was making comments about, disparaging comments about his mother and yesterday afternoon Isaiah addressed that pretty vehemently. I, I thought convincingly. I don't think he's lying. I don't think he said anything about Schroeder's mother. Just the way he responded to it. But, you never know. We weren't on the court. We have no idea. But it's the fire and the spunk that this team, you can see their confidence is building. Um, I think you mentioned before we went on the air, Patrick, that the Celtics in Atlanta hold the best 10-game record or or past 10-game record of anybody in the Eastern Conference right now going 8-2. and two. And that's what we need to see. It's really the confidence, the self-assuredness, and the aggressiveness that will bring that defensive efficiency back to the court. But going
0: back to what you said about Jake Crowder and putting his finger in the face of John Wall, I love that. I love the Dennis Schroeder, Isaiah Thomas sort of. And this is a, a bit of a, I don't want to call it, a, call it a rivalry yet, but there's something there between these two going back to last year's playoffs, if you'll recall. I like that. I think these are the things that this Celtics team sort of desperately needs. And I don't want to overstate the Atlanta win because the fact is the Celtics did blow an 11-point fourth-quarter lead, and we can get into that if you want, but that this is the NBA. Uh, Every team makes a run, especially at home. The Celtics responded the best way they could. They put the ball in the hands of Isaiah Thomas. But the Celtics this year hadn't had that sort of signature win, the win that they can look back at and say, this is when we we rallied, this is when we truly believed in ourselves. Last year, nobody will ever forget the finish in Cleveland, Avery Bradley stroking the three and the Celtics running off the court. This is very similar. Now, clearly, Cleveland is a superior team to Atlanta, but I think the Celtics desperately needed something like what happened in Atlanta the other night to happen, because every team needs that confidence boost. Every team needs to feel good, and to have that happen following the Jay Crowder in the nose of of John Wall and following the sort of jarring back and forth between Schroeder and Isaiah Thomas, the timing worked out perfectly because the Celtics sort of backed up the edge that they were playing with. If they had lost in Atlanta and blown that 11-point fourth-quarter lead, they would have been seen sort of as posers. Here come the Celtics. They're fake tough guys. But to go 2 and 0 in that stretch and to go 2 and 0 in the fashion that the Celtics did Closing out the fourth quarter uh, against the the Wizards the way that they did, and then running off the court in Atlanta following Isaiah Thomas's game winner, I think there's something to that, and I think that you'll start to see this team pick it up defensively and carry that edge around that they were sort of known for the last couple of seasons. The Celtics were were this sort of the team that. I'm not going to call them fake tough guys, but they weren't going to take it on their court, especially their home court, especially they weren't going to let other teams come in and embarrass them at home. And if it meant playing a little bit dirty, playing a little bit tough, that's a good thing. And that's what this team has been missing all season long. They become a finesse team through the first 40 games, the last three or four games. Some of that finesse is still there, but you're starting to see signs that this team can play with that edge again. And I think it's a dangerous combination to have that three point shooting ability to have this dangerous offense that the Celtics suddenly have this season and combine that with some of that edge from the last two seasons, then you'll see the Celtics at their best.
1: Yeah, you talk about rivalries and this really was rivalry week because there is a history with that Washington club and those games being feisty. There's no doubt, but I think also the other takeaway for me is you mentioned Isaiah Thomas and the way he closed out the Atlanta game. Paul Pierce would have been proud with that elbow step back jumper to, to nail it and secure the, seal the, the 103 101 victory, but it's really a tale of two Thomases. When you watch how Toronto attacked Isaiah defensively and then collapsed on him so that they were able to reclaim the lead and and walk away with the win on Monday, versus what Isaiah's been doing all season long, just throwing up points, stone-cold killer with the game on the line, and knocking it down with Atlanta, that just, to me, highlights the fact that they need at least one more stud scorer on this squad to take a little bit of pressure off, because... They could not keep pace offensively. I'm fine with a shootout against Toronto. I understand that Isaiah's going to be a defensive liability, especially against a squad that has two really phenomenal guards. And long guards and strong guards. That's the other thing. Kyle Lowry is a beast. He's got a lot of muscle and he's got that I don't know if you remember Jarrett Jack, but he's just he's got that strong point guard. He's quick too, but he's got the muscle to kind of, you know, take advantage of a, a matchup. And then obviously DeRozan is long and nasty and can attack the rim. And that exposes Isaiah Thomas's defensive limitations. I'm fine with getting in a shootout with them though. He just needs he needs his DeRozan or his Kyle Lowry. He can't be the only one they've got two that can attack to close the game then you go to Atlanta and yeah it was nasty but there he is back on display a guy who absolutely should make the all-star team but now guys like KG on Area 21 are saying hey maybe this guy should be in the conversation for MVP yes Isaiah should be in the conversation for MVP no there's no chance in hell he's going to get it Pat
0: no, there's, there isn't. But the fact that he, he's probably going to be a top five candidate just t- tells you how far this guy has come. Look, when he got here two seasons ago, Justin, people weren't sure if he should be a starter or somebody that came off the bench for s- sort of instant offense, a Nate Robinson type. He's so much more than that. I mean, this is somebody that you can truly have in your top three he can you can sort of build your team around isaiah thomas and what's interesting about isaiah and i'm going to reference ty ray here i've had the opportunity to do a handful of postgame shows with him and i'll never forget the first first one we did together this is back in november and he said patrick the thing about isaiah in my opinion is He's continuing to get better, and he's repeated that sentiment as we've done these shows as the season's gone along, and I never really paid much attention to it. Usually when a guy's 27 years old, they are what they are. He's five years into the league. You figure, look, if this is who Isaiah is, then that's great, but... I think there's something to what Ty is saying. Much like Avery Bradley, every offseason comes back with a new tool in his tool belt. Isaiah Thomas is so much more of a complete offensive basketball player this year than he has been in years past. You go back to the 52-point outburst a couple of weeks back, and there was 1% of the population, but they were allowed 1% that got on him for not having one single assist in that game. What's he do the next night? He follows it up with 15 assists. Uh, just a couple nights ago, he had nine assists in that game to go along with 30-some-odd points. This guy has become a complete point guard. And, and just real quick, going back to the Raptors game, A, look, it's going to be difficult for just about any team in the NBA to stop a DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, one-two punch. But I, I think the Celtics win that game if they don't let Valanciunas have the game of his life. And, and this has been a theme all season long for the Celtics, that I think can solve two problems. you got a, a guy like Valanciunas goes off for 18 points, uh, 12 rebounds. He absolutely destroyed the Celtics in the paint. And you think to yourself, well, if the Celtics had, and for lack of a better comparison, if they had a frontline enforcer a la Kendrick Perkins circa 2009, he is going to make up for a lot of the guys that get, ba- get past in Isaiah Thomas because of his let's just say, below-average defense. Uh, when you've got that front-line li- that, that front player that puts the fear of God into people, that makes people think twice before going to the basket, how many mistakes did Kevin Garnett make up for with other guys on the basketball court? So look, You when know, you look at it's Celtics so theme.
1: interesting that you say that too because same theme with Al Horford and Kevin Garnett and actually Larry H. Russell talked about this on Celtics Beat yesterday with Tim Bontemps, beat reporter, beat reporter for the Atlanta Hawks. But all we hear about both of those players not wanting to move into that center role, but I will tell you what you just said. Rangy, Kevin Garnett went, cleaned it up, and one of the, and astutely Larry H. Russell mentioned that team that was barely hovering around 500, but obviously Kendra Perkins no longer with the club. They move Kevin Garnett to center and Brandon Bass plays power forward and then they go on a run and make some noise in the postseason. Al Horford may have to do that if they don't make a move for somebody like, you know, like a Nerlens Noel, somebody who is a rangy shot blocker who can grab rebounds cuz you're right, those 23 boards by Valančiūnas was absolutely murderous to this Celtics club and they don't have anybody to clean it up. And the other thing that, that Bontem said is he had interviewed Brad Stevens because one thing he had noticed in the shift of Al Horford going from the Hawks to this Boston team was the fact that they were not, that he was not taking that mid-range shot anymore. And people are always questioning rebounds with Al Horford. But what Brad said was, Hey, this guy is too valuable as a playmaker. So those mid-range shots, now he's getting players easier shots or they're knocking down an open three instead of one closer to the basket and we all know that the three-pointer is more points per possession than any other shot attempt in the league right you know especially as it stands today and so That's kinda, I think, I know that that's on offense, but I think it also carries over to defense. He's the guy that ends up having to cover up for exactly what we talked about. Isaiah's defensive limitations. Somebody's gonna come and clean it up. And what they really need to do is put Horford in a more rangy role and have somebody to be there at the rim, grab the rebounds and stop those second chance opportunities.
0: But I just think you answered your own question. If you go back to the the start of the program, you mentioned the Celtics' ability to to suddenly can the three with regularity this year, where last year it was a struggle for them, an uphill battle for them to hit the three. This is the big difference between this year's team and last year's team when it comes to hitting the three ball. A, they've got a guy that can work out of the post. It is an excellent big man sort of passer of the basketball. Uh, The court vision that... Al Horford shows on a nightly basis is something you generally don't see out of the majority of, let's just call them big men. Let's not label him a power forward. Let's not label him a center. But he's got, it's a rare talent for a guy like that of his size to be able to see the floor the way that he does. And he sees the floor much like a point guard does, where he he sees a play, two plays, develop ahead of, ahead of time. And that's what the great point guards do. So you got to give Al Horford a, a tremendous amount of credit for that. Plus, Al Horford can stretch to three. Therefore, the Celtics... Uh, the other teams can't pack it in the way they did last year against an Isaiah Thomas or against a Jay Crowder and dare the Celtics to shoot because now the Celtics are able to spread the floor effectively. And, and they, when the Celtics throw Al Horford and Kelly Olynyk out there at the same time, they legitimately have five three-point shooting threats on the floor at all times it's just other it's otherworldly the way that the nba has changed and developed in recent years to this three-point game and i hope someday it reverts back and we sort of meet in the middle between what it is now and what it was 10 years ago but that's besides the point but al horford is i'm gonna say 75 percent of the reason why the celtics are shooting the three ball so much more effectively this year than last year because of his ability to pass and the celtics Suddenly great spacing on the offensive end because Al just suddenly, he he knows where to be. He's an intelligent basketball player. He doesn't get lost and confused out there the way that a Jared Sellinger would. And it just makes all the difference in the world.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. And as we wrap up the first half of the show, you have teed up what we're going to talk about coming back from the break. It's so funny because Kelly Olynyk ends up being the whipping boy, but he had an awesome performance against Atlanta. We're going to talk about why. And then, obviously, we've got some injury updates, and you did mention players having trouble staying healthy with this Celtics team the last couple of years. So those two topics, as well as a quick mid season review and predictions for the second half, and previewing the slate of games on the schedule for the Celtics this coming week that all coming up right after we take a quick break and as I'd say we take a quick break we're going to talk to you a little bit about Blue Apron which Blue Apron is a phenomenal sponsor for celtic stuff live they've re-upped for 2017 their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone and they know that when you cook with incredible ingredients you're going to make incredible meals and so they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers family-run farms fisheries and ranchers i think this part is my favorite it's less than ten dollars a meal so it is less expensive than going out but the great thing is is They're delivering these seasonal recipes along with all of the pre-portioned ingredients. So not only do you not have to go shopping, but you don't have to measure anything. It's not any harder than going out to eat, but it's a lot less expensive. And the food is phenomenal. I Trust me, I promise you, you can cook these meals and make them just as good as they look on the recipe card. Because if I can do it, I know you can do it. And cooking together builds strong family bonds. My wife and I cook these meals together and research shows that blue apron families cook nearly three times more often together so you can go out and you can go out to eat or you can go to high-end grocery chains and spend all kinds of money or you can sign up with blue apron and spend less than ten dollars per person for a delicious meal and the great thing about this too is that your recipes each week, there's never any duplicate over a year. There's no weekly commitment. You can totally organize your recipes. You can take a break. You don't have to necessarily be on the subscription and auto-deliver every single week. You have a lot of flexibility. Some upcoming meals here in January, spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage. And I can't say this word. I've (laughs) always struggled with this. Furikake. Does that sound right? I'm not even sure. But see, that tells you how much I don't even know how to cook and why I can promise you that Blue Apron is, is good. Pork chops and garlic piccata with scallion rice and spinach mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime sour cream. So check out this week's menu. And here's the thing that you get for being a listener of Celtic Stuff Live. You're going to get your first three meals for free with free shipping. All you have to do is go to blueapron.com forward slash Celtics. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com forward slash Celtics. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And we're going to be right back after this. A quick word for from our sponsor audible.com all right so we're back from the break and as we said we're going to talk a little bit about kelly Olynyk because patrick i feel like i feel like he's a stud on the court for somebody who really lacks that natural leaping athleticism he's a smart defender positionally he rotates well um he definitely gets back on his man For somebody, again, who's not that athletic, he can fight through some screens. The thing we saw him do in Atlanta that I thought was really fantastic is I love the fact that he's laying in those reverse layups and using the rim as sort of a, a way to screen the defender and get a clean look. And that's adding an inside out game that has been desperately needed. Once he figures out how to do that up fake and get all the way to the rim, which he does have the ability to do once he learns how to do that successfully, There's a lot of options for him offensively, but just knocking down the three-pointer, like you mentioned, with the way that the game is today and having him out there in the rotation with Al Horford, which is the lineup that many people expected to start the season, just that Kelly wasn't quite healthy and was not able to do that, but a lot of people anticipated him being in that starting lineup. For all the reasons you just mentioned, spacing it out, creating room for Isaiah to be able to drive the lane and, and get more of those nice looks right there at the rim, how he gets up, gets his body into the taller, longer defenders, creates some space and then does that sweeping high lay in off, high off the glass as Isaiah is so renowned for. That's something that Kelly Olinick opens up and yet he continues to be a whipping boy, a Celtics nation. It is amazing to me how many fans, I won't say pundits because I really don't see a lot of the writers getting on him or putting him down, but you follow Twitter during a Celtics game and it's way more divided than it should be on Kelly Olinick, especially given the fact that he didn't have training camp. He didn't come back until, he didn't come back into the lineup until midway through the season. He's just starting to hit his stride now. And when he hit his stride this time last year, he was absolutely impressing everyone. And then of course the shoulder injury mm-hmm. right after the trade deadline along with Jay Crowders and things began to unravel. I think he's starting to hit that stride again. And I think he's getting a little bit of disrespect from the fan base. What do you think?
0: Uh, you know, look, it's difficult to judge Kelly. Again, going back to the whole injury thing, he's somebody that's dealt with injuries as well. It didn't do him any favors the fact that he didn't have a training camp, he didn't have an exhibition season, and he had to sort of hit the ground running. And it took him a while. Let's not forget, he had to adjust to a new front court member and Al Horford. that That's his guy in the front court with him. And he had to adjust on the fly. All that being said... Kelly Olenek is an interesting case, and I wish that there was somebody smarter than I am or somebody that has the time to delve into the advanced... Statistical, the the analytics when it comes to a guy like Kelly Olenek. Because I would love to know what his numbers are in games where he hits his first shot. Because to me, so much of what I see from Kelly is a confidence thing. When Kelly comes out and he nails that first shot, he's feeling pretty good about himself. That's when you start to see him make his little dipsy-doo moves in the paint and, and go up and under and finish strong at the rim. And that lends to him playing better defense. And when he's feeling good about himself... Go back to that Atlanta game. There was multiple times where he just did something as basic as a a fundamental good box out, which allowed the Celtics to hang in there on the boards in that game. He He didn't necessarily get the rebound, but he effectively boxed his man out. He does things like that when he's feeling good about himself. When he's not feeling good about himself and he misses that first shot, misses that second shot, inevitably what I see from Kelly is now the ball sort of fumbles through his hands or an easy play becomes a complete disaster because he finds himself thinking about the previous mistakes that he's made. So I don't think he's at that point in his career yet, Justin, where where he's... You know i've missed my first four shots. it doesn't matter i'm going to shoot and make the fifth. He's not that guy right now. He thinks about those mistakes and you can see him thinking about those mistakes if you isolate If you isolate him on the court when you're watching a game i it's amazing what you'll see uh, when he's feeling good about himself versus when he's suddenly doubling down and thinking about, okay, I made this mistake. And I made that mistake, and because I'm thinking about the first two mistakes I made, a ball goes through his hands from it for an easy layup. It happens game in and game out with this guy.
1: Yeah, and it almost sounds stupid to say this, but he's a team player almost to a fault. Because if he doesn't feel like he's got it going, he doesn't want to take away from his teammates who may be able to produce. And he may need to be more selfish. It's funny you asked for the advanced metrics, and while the Atlanta game was playing... Eric Weiss, or maybe it was after the game, but somewhere along the line, Eric Weiss was uh, a good friend from Draft Express and a scout over there and somebody that participated in the off-season interview series here on Celtic Stuff Live. So go back to September's logs and, and listen to that. It was an excellent, excellent interview with Eric, and he was actually a guest of this show back in the early 2000s when we first got rolling and was on our very first live Draft Night show broadcast back in, I believe, 2005, but he said this, he said, during the, I'm pretty sure this was during the game he said, Kelly Olinick showing his A offensive game, it's okay to miss more than 3-4 to shots and still look for your offense for future reference, he tweeted that at Kelly but then, I think it was the next day or a little bit later in the evening, he said following up on this, in the past 3 years, Kelly Olenek has shot 61% overall and 56% from 3 when he's scoring over 15 points per game and that number falls to 30% overall 22 percent from three-point land on only 5.5 shots when scoring less than 10 points per game and that really says it right there he said the moral of the story don't stop shooting if you miss a couple of shots early swear to god patrick you know that's exactly the point that you were making just now it's like hey we know you can shoot that ball we know you can hit the three and Isaiah definitely doesn't have that problem. When he misses shots, it doesn't matter. He's got a real short-term memory. Now it's the fourth quarter, and it's like he's been making every single shot. Even if he's 5 for 15 or 5 for 18 at that point in the game, you know that he's going to drop him in the pond when the game is on the line.
0: Absolutely, but I think it's even a, a bigger problem with Kelly Olynyk because it doesn't just affect him offensively Justin it affects every aspect of his game so how many guys are there in the league where if their offense isn't going we say it about Marcus Smart how many times on the Celtics post game show? I'm sure you and John have mentioned it on Celtics Stuff Live 30 times in the last three years since Marcus has been here. It's When his shot isn't going, he gives you other intangibles. He's going to go out there. He's going to get you seven rebounds. He's going to hit a big shot in the fourth quarter. He's going to block a shot, get a steal. He gives you other, uh, other valuable components to his game regardless of his offense is working or not on any particular evening. With Kelly Olynyk, it's the exact opposite. When his offense isn't going, that's when you see him start making mistakes defensively. That's when you start to see him sort of be looking aloof out there in the basketball court. And I think that's what fans rip into him for. It's that sort of aloofness that you see occasionally from Kelly Olynyk, and that's when the mistakes happen. And I think it all goes back to uh, the, his mind playing tricks on him and his inability to just feel good about himself and concentrate on something that is working, something that he does have control over. Over on a game-in-a-game-out basis, and that's why a guy like Marcus Smart, whether he develops a, uh, a consistent offensive game for the next 10 years or not, he may never develop into a star-level player, but he will always have a job in this league as long as he contributes defensively, much like a Tony Allen. He never really became that great offensive player, but because he identified himself as a great defender and he allowed himself to be that game in and game out, regardless if his shot was falling or not, he's carved out a great NBA career. Marcus Smart could do the same thing. Kelly Olynyk, not so much right now. And it's a shame because the advanced metrics tell everybody that despite what you may see with your eyes, it may not look like Kelly is an effective defender, but he is a highly underrated defensive player for the Celtics in their front court. And he's also somebody that can carve out enough space Despite the short arms that he has, he could also be an effective rebounder, or at least an effective team rebounder, because he does have a great skill of boxing out his opponent. That's a skill that's lost on a lot of these guys, because they're such high leapers, high jumpers. He doesn't have that gift, so he has to go back to the fundamentals, and actually carve out space with his butt, and and be the guy that boxes somebody out, and if you pay attention to Kelly when he's feeling good, nobody boxes somebody out better than Kelly Olenek.
1: Yeah, that's true, and it's unfortunate because it seems like every time he starts to get that string of confidence together, then he has a setback with an injury, a la the shoulder from last year. But yesterday, another bizarre setback for Kelly Olenek at practice on Sunday before practice even starts, and I'm sure there's going to be more about this coming out today, and hopefully we'll get a status update. Maybe he'll be able to play in the game tonight, but not certain yet. But this bizarre twisting of his ankle because he, I don't exactly know, but fell, bumped into, ran into some sort of inadvertent collision. <laughs> I'm not even sure how to, I wasn't there, so I'm not even sure how to, how to word it, but somehow rolls his ankle with unintended con- uh, contact with one of the Celtics ball boys. How bizarre. And just as Avery Bradley, as we talk about injuries earlier in the first half of the show, but just as Bradley finally comes back and participates in practice, Kelly Olynyk now may go down with another, I mean, just too many ankles. The shoulder is finally... Not bothering Kelly. He's getting confidence. And then hopefully this ankle injury won't set him back. It is good to have Bradley back, but since you talked about Marcus Smart and the last you know three games of this week, and we talk about defense and that Bradley being one of the best man-to-man defenders in the backcourt in the entire NBA, recognized as so, continues to grow his game, still a young player at 25 years of age, and yet Marcus Smart comes in fills in and kind of puts Isaiah Thomas in that off-ball position, allows Marcus Smart to showcase his passing ability, and the defense really doesn't drop off. It's a different type of defense with Smart versus Bradley, but they actually gain some size, not only because Smart is a couple of inches taller than Bradley, but the girth, just the poundage. He's a more physical stronger player as well so is he a better defender than bradley no but in some ways yes but the size a disadvantage that the celtics backcourt can be at when you have bradley and isaiah which i think is another reason they've struggled against the toronto raptors in the past that's something that marcus smart is has, has filled in admirably and it's helped smart anchor that second unit because of the first go around with him going into that starting lineup. Then when, when Bradley was healthy, and Smart and El worked very well to anchor the second unit. And I'm, I'm assuming we'll see that return or we'll see the, we'll see Smart go back into the leading the second unit in the game tonight as, as Bradley likely comes back into the starting lineup. But, it almost, and I know we talked about it a little bit before the show, Patrick, and maybe we'll just jump right into it, but you're wondering if that means Bradley may be more expendable in the eyes of Danny Ainge as this team looks to make moves to upgrade and position themselves to take the leap in the postseason this year.
0: Well, look, again, we've talked about it at nauseam the last – Two and a half seasons here. It, it, trade deadline is five weeks away. I believe it's February 23rd this year. Um, if the Celtics are to make a move of some sort of significant, significant significance, please cut that out. I, I couldn't speak there for a moment. Um, but you know, if they were going to make a, a large move here, Justin, it, most likely it's going to have to include an Avery Bradley, or a Jay Crowder. And there's been a, this debate uh, among Celtics fans the last 16, 18 months as to who you would rather see get dealt off in a move like that. I just wonder if, because my view has changed a little bit here, and maybe it's very reactionary, but I wonder if when you take a look at these two guys, if because Marcus Smart has upped his game a little bit this year, and we've seen Isaiah Thomas play very well with Marcus Smart on the court, and it gives that the Celtics that other unique dynamic that you don't really get with avery bradley where you're right this whole idea of moving isaiah thomas off the ball and not doing it full time just doing it when the the opposition's defense calls for it and this is what the celtics desperately needed in last year's playoffs they didn't do it effectively and that's why you saw isaiah thomas sort of get bottled up so much it started to happen a little bit against atlanta the other night what did The Celtics do in that fourth quarter. They move Isaiah off the ball, put the ball in Marcus's hands, and suddenly it frees up Isaiah to go up there and do what Isaiah does, and that's put the ball in the basket. So if you have to give up one of those two guys, be it a Crowder or a Bradley, it looks right now as if the Celtics wouldn't—I'm not going to say they won't miss a beat because Bradley's been a, a consistent member of this team going back to the Doc Rivers era. But I think that they could get away with upgrading another position and including Avery Bradley in a deal without without hurting their product on the court so much. Whereas if you give up on a guy like Jay Crowder, despite the fact that we're all a little bit down on Jay, I think that the Celtics are much thinner at that swingman position. I'm sorry, there's a, there's a big drop-off when you go from Jay Crowder to Gerald Green despite his improved performances of late, and then you go down to the rookie and Jalen Brown. The, the depth isn't there at the swing position, so of course if you lose a Crowder, unless you're losing a Crowder and gaining a Butler, you're not going to come out ahead, at least for this season. But if you lose a Bradley and gain a Butler or gain something else of of significance that this Celtics team needs, I think you might have something there.
1: Well, you know, and the trade deadline – I mean, not the trade deadline. The draft night rumor was Crowder and Bradley and some assortment of picks, which probably was too much for Butler. But when you talk about if you can keep this year's pick, and I would have been vehemently against trading Crowder and Bradley – But now I'm thinking, if you're going to bring back Butler, I would trade Crowder and Bradley. You move smart into the starting lineup, as long as you only give up one pick and not this year's Nets pick. I would be willing to part with both players, as a matter of fact. And the reason for that is, it's a guard-heavy draft. And the chances of grabbing a Markel Fultz is huge. Huge, good, good, good odds on that. And even if you fall, you can't fall further than fourth, but even if you fall to fourth with that Nets pick, there are such a glut of guards, and I know, uh, Danny was recently scouting, uh, NC State's game, but there are so many guards available, and there are not a lot of front court players available. You wanna talk about a glut of guards? We already have too many guards, not too many. I don't wanna to say too many, but more than can play. And then you're going to make another top of the draft, you know, pick and somebody like Fultz is going to be ready to play day one. I'm not necessarily start, but it should be the third guard and there's already three guards on this roster. So if you're going to make a selection in this year's draft, value is at point guard, shooting guard, which means a spot needs to be opened up or the trade or the pick needs to be traded. And all of a sudden I find myself oddly spun around that I would be willing to give up both Crowder and Bradley. I think on the draft night show, I said, no way both. And I did not want to part with Crowder whatsoever, but based on his performance this season, he, uh, and again, it's so hard because he's the heart and soul. And you look at that Washington game and just what he did to, to, to stay feisty and even I'm happy about how he responded to the Gordon Hayward you know cheers because he took it personally because he wants to be here and he 100% believes that he is going to be the best player on the court at his position especially defensively on any given night and I love that but his play has dropped off to date this year and Bradley is unfortunately expendable based on the situation and when you put those two together in a package I think you might be able to return a star at that wing position like you just mentioned
0: well and again here's where I sort of think it's interesting because if you look at the Chicago Bulls one of their biggest positions of need of course is point guard we've all seen the Rajon Rondo drama take place there they need a point guard and it's not just the number one pick this year that's going to go point guard it's looking like the top three or four are all going to be point guards, and. The word right now, and we've heard this before and take it with a grain of salt, but the word right now is there could potentially be multiple transformative players, multiple transformative type of point guards in that top five this year. And you're right. The Celtics certainly don't need to bring on another point guard, despite the fact that Two out of the top three, I believe, are six foot four or taller. You, it doesn't matter. The Celtics, it's the last thing that they need. And my big fear is that Danny Ainge has been an advocate for years of bringing in the guy with the most talent and not drafting for a position. I don't want to see Danny be forced to do that. You look at two teams in the Eastern Conference. You look at the Bulls, they could certainly use a point guard, and they've got A wing guy that the Celtics certainly would love to have a multiple all-star in Jimmy Butler. We all know that. And the Bulls are 20 and 21 right now, ninth place in the Eastern Conference. And even if they do make the playoffs, it doesn't look like they're, they're really doing anything. You could certainly question what their long-term plan is there in Chicago. Why would you bring in Rondo? Why would you bring in Dwayne Wade? Uh, it was a, a shot in the dark that they would have a three-headed monster with Jimmy Butler. It's just not working. The other team that's interesting is the current seven seed right now, the Indiana Pacers. They're a team that's got a, a, a good veteran point guard in Jeff Teague, but unlike a guy like Isaiah Thomas that you would hesitate to sort of push out of the way for a rookie. I don't think that Larry Bird would think twice about blowing up this Pacers team. They're another team that's not going anywhere at 20-19. and 19. Jeff Teague's a good player putting up 15 points a game, but we've seen Jeff Teague in his act for seven years now. He is not a franchise-altering type of point guard. He's an above-average point guard. He's a good point guard. He's not a great point guard. And And if you look at this point guard-heavy draft, you have to ask yourself, Would the Pacers be interested in finally blowing it up? And is there a package surrounding these guys and or the Celtics-Brooklyn picks that can net back a Paul George? So I think the next five weeks is going to be very, very interesting, especially because Brooklyn keeps losing and the Sixers are suddenly the hottest team in the NBA.
1: Well, and we talk about the value of these picks, and maybe they get moved and maybe they don't, but as we lead up to the trade deadline with some of that still looming and undetermined, I will tell you that our guest coming up on Celtic Stuff Live either later this week or with John and I on next Monday's show is going to be Sam Vecini who has a podcast game theory and is joining the CLNS radio network. So uh, earlier we mentioned terrific talk, which is a new podcast on the CLNS radio network and Sam Vicini will be joining CLNS radio as well. And we will be, previewing a number of these players that we're talking about now that are going to be available with the Nets' number one pick, which really does look to be in the best position for number one overall, especially as the Philadelphia 76ers are starting to have some success in trusting the process, I'll say, but a three-game win streak before losing their most recent tout with Embiid taking a night off, but is really having an awesome season. We've got about five minutes Minutes to close it out, Pat, I would say, first off, midseason. So let's say the Celtics walk away with a win tonight and they have uh, on pace or will be on pace for 52 wins on the year. Assuming, I won't even say assuming they stay healthy 100%. I'll say assuming that they enjoy the simil- a similar uh, state of health that they've had to this point in the season, which actually isn't that great. But let's just say they stay similarly healthy. A couple of guys go, they come back into the lineup, and that's how they coast to the postseason. Do you think their total wins goes up from 52, or do you think they stay level in the second half of the year? I think that they'll stay – pretty
0: much level, because you still have to account for the monster West Coast road trip that comes up annually. The Celtics haven't hit that yet. And you also have to account for the fact that the Celtics started out like a house of fire on the road this season, which really carried the day. The Celtics, assuming win, they win tonight, that puts them at 13 and 6 at the Garden. It was just a few weeks ago this team was was 6 and 6 at the Garden. So they finally got things right at home, and the Celtics are still 13 and 9 on the road, which is an excellent road record. But I've always said this season that you can't expect those road wins to continue to be piled up. At some point this team has got to hit a bit hit a bit of a skid. On the road. That's why these home wins are so vital, so important. The fact that it looks like the Celtics are starting to assert a little bit of home court dominance here is vital to this team's long-term success for this season. But you have to account for a skid where they lose 4 out of 5 at some point, which is going to be the skid that knocks them out of contention to win the 56 games that I really had them penned down for to start this season. But the fact that we're talking about pacing for 52 After the start to this season, the first six weeks to the season that this team had, Justin, I think that's truly amazing that this team looks like they're going to wind up finishing right about smack dab in the middle of where
1: all the national pundits had picked them. Similar hiccups to start last year, but they finished the second half of the season strong, even with the injuries. So I, I do think they can still hit that 54-55 win mark that I thought. The only thing I think could derail that is if they do make a major move at the deadline, because typically as the players begin to learn each other, learn the system, and especially with players outgoing and what that does to chemistry I think that could actually be a setback but a big step forward in the postseason so I'm going to say right now all things equal no trades being made I think they can tack on a couple of extra wins just based on where they were to start this season I'm not sure they're going to hit that drop off a lot of the the tight scheduling has already happened now the schedule loosens up a little bit yes they've been the beneficiaries of a number of home games and they're actually performing well at home which they weren't I think also they don't have as many back-to-backs they don't have that seven games and nine nights type of schedule but this squad has also performed well with not a lot of rest maybe not Uh, stayed healthy when they're not getting that rest. But they've certainly, over the last two seasons seem to perform better when they don't have long extended absences between games. Alright, so as we close out the show, you're going to play John Duke. You're going to fill in for him. You had a nice 100% correct prediction last week, Patrick, going 2-1. You nailed every single game. Now we've got three more games on the docket. It it starts tonight against the Charlotte Hornets, who I think the Celtics are going to crush tonight. I really do. They're at home again. Then they face the Knicks. The Knicks seem to be faltering a little bit. They're now 18 and 23 on the season. I think the Celtics take that one as well. So there you go, a nice start. And the Portland Trail Blazers, they're struggling this year. They are not the team that they were last year. They'll be a Thursday and a Friday off, two days rest before playing them again. Three straight games at home this week. They'll close that run out against the Portland Trailblazers. And I actually think, again, because of guard play, that the Trailblazers may be the sneak attack this week. And yet I'm gonna go three and O with my predictions. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm gonna go
0: three and zero as well, but I'm gonna give you a little caveat here too. I think that something happens following the Celtics-Knicks game. I think that Carmelo explodes at some point post-game in the locker room. He's come close to doing it. If you followed the Carmelo-Anthony saga, he's going to be in Boston. He doesn't have good memories here. Uh, Kevin Garnett really give, gave this guy some fits in Boston. He just doesn't – he he comes unhinged sometimes when he's in Boston, and I feel like he's becoming unhinged right now anyways as that Knicks team that started off very respectful this year, a team that was, uh, what, just about 500 – Three weeks back on Christmas Day, and yeah, still very much in the playoff and Gorman picture. Gorman was
1: impressed. I mean, we interviewed Gorman just days before Christmas, and yep. he felt very impressed and, and thought, "Hey, this New York Knicks team, it might just work out." But not only the Knicks, but the Bulls seem to be coming back down to earth and and preseason predictions based on uh, what most of us thought would happen.
0: I, I just, I really believe that. Carmelo is ready for some sort of implosion. He's about done with Phil Jackson. He's about done with the rebuilding. Phil Jackson for, for for went the rebuilding this year and just said, screw it, I'm bringing veteran players. That didn't work either. I think Carmelo, if there is a year where he is going to be traded, and we do not have time for this conversation because I would like to see him in green. I'll, I'll end it with that. But if there's a year where this guy could be traded, I think it's this year. I think a lot of it's going to be his own doing. I think he's going to force his way out of town. And I really believe that at some point in the coming weeks, You're going to see this guy go in full implosion mode. It could very well happen in Boston on Wednesday. So that's my, I didn't want to be three and oh right alongside you. I had to give you something else.
1: So I'll give you that. Yeah. Well, that's definitely quite the prediction. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's more than a win loss record right there. Predicting a meltdown on the heels of Derek Rose going MIA is certainly, uh, you know, Hey, I appreciate the boldness uh, with which you predict and John will have to come and face your prediction next (laughs) Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, it's been a pleasure, and I really appreciate you coming on and filling in this week for John. And, you know, we need to have you back on as a guest here pretty soon, and maybe we'll talk about your uh, desire for Carmelo Anthony on your next visit.
0: Anytime, man. I had a lot of fun, and and here we are, what, 10, 11 years after we started this thing, and who knows, 10, 11 years from now, we'll be pushing 50, but we'll probably still be doing this in some way, shape, or form.
1: Oh, don't say it. Don't say it. I never thought I'd be pushing 40, and here I am. Well over the hill. (laughs) All right, everybody, this broadcast is going to be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin, at CSL underscore Duke, and follow Patrick Gilroy at Gilroy on Hoops. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. You can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review. Your feedback is very important to us. And a reminder, today's show brought to you by Audible.com, brought to you by BlueApron.com, and brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. Three excellent sponsors. A huge shout to them for helping make this show happen every single week. And they've got a great deal for all of you listeners. And most importantly, you would continue to support this show and the entire CLNS Radio network. So thank you, loyal listeners who make it all worthwhile. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Jelso, and my fill-in co-host this week, Patrick Gilroy. I am Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.